Welcome to the Student of the Game Fire Podcast with your host, Danny B. Today's guest is Tom Hollick. 18 years of career and volunteer experience. Battalion Chief for C-Shift at Cibolo Fire Department in Texas. Lead Instructor for No Quit Writ. Cadre Instructor with Bearers of the Oath. The conversation Tom and I had should resound with every individual regardless of rank that believes within the mission. We are in this profession to truly be masters of our craft. This episode might ruffle some feathers, and it's only because we want to provide the best level of service for the communities we serve and never want to settle for just being subpar. With that, I present Mr. Tom Hollick. My name is Tom Hollick. I've been in the fire service for 18 years. I got started uh, up in Tennessee, Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. So I started there uh, and was at a, a city picnic. I was actually working for the pools there. Uh, and the inspector at the time, the fire inspector, his name was Roger Price, came to the the city picnic and he said, hey, man, you're kind of big. Would you like to come volunteer? I was like, hey, that sounds fun. Let's try it out. So went through one year of volunteer. And then that department was only uh, Monday through Friday, 8 to 430, covered by uh, paid staff. And they had three guys that were paid. Um, and then we transitioned after that year to a full-time paid uh, department, 2448 shift. Uh, and I was lucky to get on there. Uh, I was there for, I guess, uh, six years paid. And then my dad kind of had some issues. I'm from Texas. I was born in Texas and then moved up there kind of on a whim and, and ended up staying up in Tennessee for about 10 years. Uh, and then my dad got sick and it took me too long to get to him. So I decided at that point, I always knew that I wanted to come back home to Texas. Uh, and I ended up applying for three different departments, uh, one in the DFW area and then uh, San Antonio Fire Department and shirts. Uh, well, shirts is actually where I went to high school. So it was pretty cool. I got on with them. Uh, I was there for 10 and a half years. I made my way from firefighter to driver to uh, lieutenant. And then the neighboring department, Cibolo, which is where uh, I live, my family has lived, uh, my grandparents have owned land there since like 73. Um, they opened up for outside for battalion chiefs. And I put in uh, thinking that I could have some pretty cool effect there. And it just seemed like the right opportunity. Uh, Cibolo is a pretty cool place to work. Um, we've got three stations currently. We're working on station four. Uh so that's kind of how I got in and, and where I'm at now. Uh, it's just been a blessing to uh, to be in the fire service. Um, it's neat because the guys that I work with now, uh, I just I can't say enough uh, good about them. They're they're amazing. The lieutenants on my shift, all the way down to the drivers, the firefighters, man. Everybody's just willing to do the work, and and that's really across the shifts too. Uh, we are a younger department uh, overall, um, but that's not such a bad thing. Um, the guys uh, and gals that work there love the job and they're willing to learn. They're willing to listen. So I just can't say enough good about the the fire department I work for. Okay. Uh, you mentioned three stations working on four. Um, what, uh, what apparatus pretty much make up Cibola? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's at station one uh, is where I'm housed. So we've got our command buggy and then we're currently running an engine out of there, but we just uh, 
we have our 107 ascendant it'll be running out of there until station four is built but right now it's an engine our station two is another engine and i should preface that so station one has a four person down to three person minimums uh station two currently is three housed right now uh on an engine uh we're working on getting that up staff to four but again it'll still be a three person minimum and then station three currently we have a 77 foot uh ferrara quint um and it's got four personnel with a three-person minimum right now. Okay. All right. Um, what on a structural box? What what does in in what on a structural yeah. box in Cibolo's first do? What do you get? So this is where things get kind of skewed. So again, I told you I work for shirts. Uh, the the way that the uh, the boundaries of the cities work, they're so intertwined. Um, so what we do is we actually run closest unit dispatch with that department. Uh, and so they have three stations currently, they're working on their fourth. Um, so on a, on a box, your, your first due is going to be the five, or I'm sorry, the four closest units, uh, between shirts and Cibolo and two battalion chiefs. And then we do currently we're doing one mutual aid unit from another surrounding department. So you get five total plus two, two BCs, one from shirts, one from Cibolo on all box launch. Okay. Okay. Um, would there this might this this question might be a little far fetched, but would there be any exploration of a possible combination between shirts and Cibola? No, so they're they're two different cities. Uh, okay. I think you know if they were going to do that, they would have had to do it uh, a long time ago before the cities have invested, and it, it'd just be a nightmare to figure out how to uh, to pay all that out, right? Okay. Um, ideally, it would be great because we do like effectively we operate like currently a six station apartment, like I said you know, if it's a medical call and it drops and it's closer and it's in the city of shirts, but our station two is closer, our station two is getting it. And the cool thing is they're running off of the AVL. So if somebody's at the store getting their groceries, wherever that call drops, whatever units closest is getting it. So it's pretty gotcha. easy. Okay. Okay. No, definitely AVL is, uh, it's, it's definitely one of those things where it takes the play out of the whole Back in the day, those was my jurisdiction, yep. and yep. it's the closest <laughs> unit that's going to provide the service to the customer. That's so, right. Which is okay. the best for the yeah for the citizens. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Um, one question I have for you: minus take taking away your dad getting sick, sure. with you being at an organization for so long, mm -hmm. would it be harder to to make that transition to leave? So I'll tell you, you know, specifically for the move from Shirts to Cibolo, um, I had been at Shirts uh, for 10 and a half years that, uh, at that point. It was difficult to move uh, to Cibolo. Um, but I'll tell you the, the reason I did it, it wasn't for the promotion. It wasn't for any of that. It was just where I thought I could have the greatest effect and move things forward. That That's always been my intent. And um, you know, we were kind of talking about it a little bit before uh, about, you know, having impact on people like that. I've had so many people have impact on me that I feel it's my duty to do the same for others. That's how I, I feel I'm paying it forward to others. Um, you know, I've had people that have been in my life that have just pushed me forward in the fire service. And I, I'd love to tell a story about a gentleman. His name was Chris Knutson. He was the training officer for Pigeon Forge up in Tennessee when I worked there. And that dude uh, just did so much for me. He pushed me uh, to move forward in the career. He taught me what the fire service was about. 
Um, and my intent is to carry that forward because that's how I can kind of carry on his legacy through me, right? Um, I just find that that's very important to do for others. So I don't think it's that hard to to leave a place if you're doing it for the right reasons. I will say that it was difficult because I, I had a lot of friends. Obviously, the families mm -hmm. are intertwined. Mm -hmm. uh, but the cool thing about it is they're right next door and we get to see them all the time. So it's not all that much different. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Um, let's see here. So I'm going to ask you one question. Uh, I'm going to a question. Um, I'm not sure what the training budget is at Cibolo, but how do you construct or how does your department construct realistic training for yeah. your members? No, that's a, it's a really good question. So uh, I'll speak specifically to uh, C-Shift, which is uh, the shift that I'm on. When I started there, um, what I what I kind of saw was uh, some disjointed training. There was no rhyme or reason. Uh, and the guys will tell you, like, I walked into a, a forcible entry while they were doing forcible entry training one day. And I just kind of stood back and watched and I just wanted to see what they were going to do and, and how they were conducting training. And what I saw was a lot of uh not disorganization and not that it was wasted time. I just saw an opportunity where we could clean things up. So they were, you know, going all the way through to like using a New York hook and force multiplying and stuff like that. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa time out. Like, that's cool. And I love that you can, you know, this, but let's focus in on what we need to be training on. What is first we need to describe, because it's not about defeating the forcible entry training door. It's about setting techniques forward to get through whatever door that you're looking at. So are we talking residential or are we talking commercial? That's the first thing we need to distinguish. And once we're talking that same language, now we're just going to work specific techniques. So at that point, I kind of called the halt. I said, hey, we're just going to talk residential, inward swinging, alpha side doors. We're going to go through conventional forcible entry. We're going to focus on the set, on the irons. We're going to start two person. We're going to work to one person. Once we have that established, now we have some way to build off of it. And now we have an organization in our training. So another thing that we did uh, together was we instituted a monthly, um, for lack of a better word, I call it an evaluation. It's not really an evaluation. It's just a training drill that's set out for the month. So at the beginning yeah. of the month, they get a description of what the entirety of the, um, the evolution is going to be. And then I go so far as to whatever that evolution is underneath, they'll get a breakdown. So single skill sets that we can focus in on during this month so that when we go at the end of the month, the last tour of the shift and do this evolution, you've already done this in the single skill sets. And now it's just about putting it together. So for an instance, we started out very simple. It was from station wear to you're ready to go in the truck and the wheels start rolling. That's a time that we're going to capture. Now we were going to capture a time from air brake set to you're going to deploy a line to a door and water is flowing. I want to capture that time and I want to see what we're looking at right now. Uh, then they have mask up time. So we capture that time set. Then we have the forcible entry. So you're going to force the door and then we're going to flow and move for about 10 to 15 feet. And I'm going to have them take a left or a right. Now that's the entirety of the drill. But when you break that down, now we have forcible entry. We've got mask up times. We've got bunk out times. We've got uh, deploying the line and getting an operation. And now what we've set is a time standard for ourselves. So now we're set to sub one minute from air brakes to water flowing. 
were set for 20 under 20 seconds on your mask up time, you know, and then what I really want to see is let's get all this done in an effective manner. Let's not be like ants running around. We should have a plan. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be like, I, I know Ramagus talks about it a lot of the times. Like you can't, uh, you can't call an audible unless you have a play. Right. Right. So that's what, that's what the intent behind that is. What we've done past that is, we have done, uh, we'll do like two to three months of engine work, and then we'll do one month of RIT, and then we'll go into some truck stuff. So search, uh, forcible entry, we've, we've done some uh, vertical ventilation stuff, uh, and then we'll flip-flop. So it'll be three months engine, one month RIT, three months truck, then we flip-flop. We just keep going on that rotation. So right now, we don't have a training facility. Uh, okay. but our station four, they're going to build one. So I can't wait for that. And that's supposed to open. I'm, I'm guessing late 25. I'm hoping, uh, when we have that now we can really get into the realistic training. But in lieu of that, what we've been doing is just sticking to those big five, man. Like, that's what we're going to do. We're going to focus in on that. If we can take that off the table, I feel like we've got 90 ish percent of the fire ground figured out. If we can just master the basics, and I, I don't mean master, but be really dang good at the basics, mm -hmm. I feel like we're on a good in a good place. And okay. the beauty of it is too is the lieutenants on my shift have bit off on it because it'd be very simple for me to go out there and be like, "Hey guys, we're going to do this." Well, if they don't bite off, it doesn't matter. So I had to get buy-in from them, and and now that we have that everybody is just chomping at the bit. They're ready for these things. They're like, let's go. It's time to go. Let's go do some work. And those guys put in, they log so many training hours that I'm just over the moon proud of them. I just can't say enough about them. Okay. That was actually going to be, number one, that was well said, but um, that was actually going to be one of my other questions is, how did you achieve, and, and I know everybody's different, but it's always a main question whenever you hear a, a passionate firefighter coming to a lecture or talking to others how did how do you get that buy-in from others because there's some other people out there that just they're just not not in it for that yeah so the the buy-in i feel like it started on day one so when i walked in a little bit over i guess it's been a year and 10 months now that i've been at Cibolo. when i walked in the first day i i had a list of expectations and what I, I did, because I had a list of expectations when I was a company officer, and they were a little bit more lined out because I had a company that I had charge of, and this is what we were going to do, right? When I came over to Cibolo, I was like, well, now I'm a battalion chief. My intent is not to run the crew, specifically like each station, each firehouse, right? My goal is to run the entirety of the shift. So my expectations, we started out very, I would say, simple right? Okay. So you're going to show up and you're going to, you know, their shift changes at, at zero eight, you're going to show up and your stuff's going to be on the truck at seven fifty. No questions asked because we're going to be respectful of the offgoing shift. Um, we started, uh, with training, you're going to train, we're on a 4896. So just like every other fire department in the nation, our EMS call volume is much higher than our fire. So we're in the 60 ish percent range of, of EMS. And then, under that is, you know, fire, MVCs, all the mm -hmm. other stuff. Right? Mm -hmm. So on day one, I expect them to uh, focus in on EMS, whether that's reading uh, uh, SMOP or their, their procedures for EMS. I want them to have their protocols down. Uh, 
they're also expected on day one to dry stretch a line at a minimum one time. And then on day two, we strictly focus fire. That's going to be the day. And they're, they're welcome to go above and beyond that. And I'll tell you that they do because right now they're putting in at least, excuse me, they're going to put in like 30 to 45 minutes on EMS. They're going to dry stretch their line and they're probably going to do an hour to two hours of training on fire. Plus on day two, we're going to train more fire. Uh, they're also expected to work out at a minimum one hour per, per tour, which is 48 hours. That's not a whole lot to ask. And our station one crew, they started this deal with a gear workout on day two. So now every like yes or last tour, uh, station one and two got together. I was there with them and we do a gear workout together, man. It's amazing. Like I think by setting that expectations to start off and now we've revisited that and we've even gone further because uh, with my lieutenants, I uh, we kind of got together and we started a book club. The first book we read was The Nine L's by Chief Moore. Okay. We went through a chapter per tour and we would get on uh, Teams, so a video chat, and we would discuss the notes or the highlights that we did through each chapter after that one was done, we did the uh, report from Engine Company 82 uh, by Dennis Smith. That was a quick read. It was fun, uh, but it was a neat read to go through with them. And right now, what we're currently going through is the Functional Fire Company with Chief Scott Thompson. And in, in that book, he talks about having a vision, uh, having philosophies, and having expectations. Well, we had our expectations, but we did never put down on paper what our philosophies are as a shift or what our vision was. But I, what was interesting is you could go across the shift and ask people and it would be a variance of things, but most uh, occurring, uh, the overwhelming themes would kind of be the same. So one of the lieutenants brought that forward when we go, when we were going through that chapter and he was like, you know, we don't really have that definition written down on paper. So I said, all right, well, that that's a good point. Let's go ahead and do that. So they took their four days off and I did the same, the three lieutenants. And I said, well, write down a vision for C-shift. I also want you to write down your philosophies. And then we also revisited the expectations that I did for the shift. Last tour, we went ahead and we put that in front of the, the, the entirety of the shift. Uh, and what we did is we kind of took all four of our ideas. So the three lieutenants and myself, uh, the vision statement, quote unquote, uh, we kind of took all four of ours and kind of piecemealed it together to one. Uh, the neat thing was it was all very similar. It was just worded differently. Mm -hmm. So it was pretty cool. Uh, the philosophies, we went through those and did much the same thing. And then the expectations, we revisited mine and then we added some to them. So we started putting those time standards because we have, we been hitting those benchmarks, but we never really put it on paper. Like, Hey, this is the expectation. You come on this shift. You're going to be sub one minute from air breaks to water flowing. You're going to be sub 20 seconds to mask up time. Like that's what we're shooting for. Uh, so getting the buy-in, I think it was fairly simple just by opening up communication lanes from myself to the lieutenants, allowing the lieutenants to do their job and run their crew without stepping on their toes. Right. If you do that and empower people and allow them to do what they do and support them, it's it's amazing what people will do. Like everybody wants to be great at this job. They want to be they want to be the people that are good at this job. I don't I don't I don't think I've ever met somebody that's just like, eh, I don't want to do this job. If it's that person, most likely what's occurring is they don't understand what it is. 
they don't understand how to be good at the job. So if you just give them the tools that they need and you show them what it looks like and lead by example, nine times out of 10, and I would venture to say 10 times out of 10, those people are going to want to just, they will go through absolute end of the world stuff mm -hmm. to make sure that they're doing what you expect of them. But the first things first, you, you got to lay the foundation for them. You have to have their expectations laid out. Because if I came to you and said, Danny, uh, why didn't you wash the truck at 0800? Well, I never laid that expectation out to you. So how are you supposed to know? If I don't communicate a an expectation to you, that's my fault. It's not yours. Period. End of story. Right. So right. Uh, by laying those expectations out, I feel like that's the groundwork. And that really is kind of what set it off. It's also that I was dealt a pretty cool hand. Uh, I've got some amazing people that work on C-Shift. And man, I, I'm just very thankful for them. I, I really am. I, I can't, again, I just can't say enough good about them. I was dealt an amazing hand of people that were willing to listen and, and actually, actually be open-minded and, mm -hmm. and be willing to, to learn from my mistakes and to also have that input and, and be willing to kind of help me point where this thing's going to go. Cause before I came to Cibolo, Cibolo didn't have battalion chiefs. It okay. was, it was a brand new position. I was the only person from the outside to take uh, one of the positions. There were two others from within the department that got the other two shifts. Um, of course we worked in close proximity. So I knew uh, most everybody at the department, but now with that working relationship and being there uh, with them on shift co consistently, now, obviously, that relationship has just gotten a lot stronger. And on top of that, by building in uh, the outside the job stuff, you know, hosting stuff at our house, welcoming people in, going when they have things going on and being present for them. I think that's kind of really what what solidified that buy in, though. OK, OK. Um, I, I have noticed uh, you, you do uh, upload um pictures on social media of you working out with the crew, training with the crew. I, I will tell you from a firefighter perspective, most fire when most firefighters see that, that's pretty big for us because it's very easy. And I'm sure it definitely goes on when an individual gets to a certain rank or status, they kind of forget about being with the guys, training, putting on the gear. So with you doing that, I'm sure that's a big motivational booster for your guys, because they're like, okay, he's not just talk. If he says, Hey, we're going to go out there and do it. He's going to be out there doing it in gear with us as well. And yeah. so I can tell you from a firefighter perspective, which I'm sure, you know, that goes a very long way. Well, yeah. I, I mean that I feel like that's just a foregone conclusion to me though. Like I'm not going to ask you to do something that I'm not willing or able to do. Like, that's just not, that's not who I am. I can't, I can't operate that way. And, and I've also learned that from listening to others and seeing others, right? Like you talk to, you know, I know you talked to chief Clyde Gordon, like mm -hmm. that dude's the same way. Like that dude will go out and he'll throw on gear. He's going to get dirty with you just the same. Uh, Nate Sturm, another one, like that dude's going to throw on gear. He's going to work out with you. He's going to get dirty by seeing these people that are, that are idols to me within the fire service. Like all I'm attempting to do is one emulate them, but also stay true to myself while doing that. So that's the only way I know how to be, man. And again, like there's a lot, I've had a lot of cool opportunities. I, I've told my guys this in multiple meetings. Like 
I've gotten a lot of cool opportunities and I pinch myself because I go back to what uh, I think it was Caleb Smith, mm -hmm. believe it was on the Rogue uh, Tailboard podcast. He said, I'm nobody from nowhere. Like that, that resonated with me. I'm literally nobody from nowhere. And I pinch myself sometimes because I get these cool opportunities to go out and train and go to conferences and be able to teach now at conferences. Well, in doing so, I've learned a lot of cool stuff. And what I want to do is pass that on to anybody that's willing to listen. And what I've told my guys is I've had an amazing experience through the fire service and I'm not done yet. I've still got, I'm hoping cross my fingers, 20 years. My intent for everybody that I work with is I want you to have what, at whatever degree that you want, I want you to have the same experience that I've had. And my intent is to give that to them in whatever way, in whatever capacity that I possibly can. So it, it's just, it's amazing what the fire service, like where it will take you, what it will do for you, but you also got to be willing to do the hard work. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can't, yeah. It's one of those things you can't get good at this job just by sitting down wanting, just, just you know, telling yourself, I just want, I, I want to be good at it in order to be good at it. You got to put in the work and the work, unfortunately is going to be some sweat, whether it's cold, hot, you know, emergencies don't care. Yep. So and, you, and I'll you, tell you another thing is, the 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 beauty of the fire service it's also a difficult thing too the beauty of the fire service is that you know you can it takes a it takes a while and you can build up this reputation or whatever within the fire service the beauty of it is once you built that like you're known for hey that's a go-getter that's gonna that's gonna be the guy that i want you can be two to three deep in staging and they're gonna call your unit when they hear you on the radio the beauty of it is that's great and it's awesome. The ugliness is it takes about two seconds to lose it. Because when you go on scene, if you mess up one time, now guess what? You're at the back of the line. Mm -hmm. And now you got to build that all over again. So every day you have to be willing to do the hard work to stay at the, the front, quote unquote, front of the line. And it's a difficult thing to do, man. Everybody has bad days. I've got bad days. There are days when I go into work and I'm like, man, and normally it's the, the administrative side of it, right? It's not my favorite part of the job, but it's part of the job that I've had to learn to be good at now. I don't like pushing paperwork. I don't like sitting in front of a computer. But what I found out is as a battalion chief, if I do that, I'm taking stuff off of my lieutenant's plate that they can now go out and do the training that they need to do. So if I can take that off of your plate, Cool. No problem. I'll do it. I'm going to sacrifice so you guys can go out and do it. And then when I have time, I'm going to come out there and join you and do it with you. Uh, I, like that. I like that answer because, I mean, I'm sure you'll have some out there who will use that, the paperwork side yep. to not go out. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm not a battalion chief. I'm sure there is all kinds of administrative work, which is probably why I'll never be a battalion <laughs> chief, but... You know, there are some out there that use that excuse of yep. I'm just too busy. Uh, I got I got stuff to file, stuff to do. And we get it. But you should always carve out at least an hour, like you said, for your crew, at least an hour at to least. do some sort of physical yep. work. Yep. And yeah, you have to. I mean, you got to be out there with them. I've worked for plenty of people throughout my career that, you know, and I'm sure you would probably uh, also echo this, that. You've you probably had really good officers, right? And mm -hmm. you've also had probably really bad officers. Really bad ones, yeah, yeah. Right. So, in in having that experience through, you know, the time that I've had on the job, what my attempt is is I want to learn and emulate the good, 
And then the bad, I want to try and get rid of it, right? So what I mean by that is if you have those those officers or battalion chiefs that aren't willing to go out and, and do the work, well, that's fine. And just don't don't do that when you get to that point. There was a battalion chief that I had, and I'm going to mention his name right now because he is probably one of my favorites. His name is Harry Hewitt. That dude, so we would go out, and this was when I worked at Shirts. We would go out on a medical run or something like that, and it'd be close to the finishing of dinner. And we get back, and that dude had the kitchen spick and span. He had mopped the bathrooms. He swept the floors. Everything was done. So when we got back from that call, it was done. So when I got to the battalion chief position, like I was like, oh, yeah. That doesn't mean that you don't pick up a mop anymore. That doesn't mean that you don't wash dishes with the guys. Like, yeah, I'm going to eat dinner with you, but I'm also not going to expect that you're going to clean my dish. Like that is not <laughs> like that. That's just not cool. Right. And what that does very simply is shows that, hey, I'm just one of the guys. Like I'm here just to hang out with you guys and really get to know you. Like that is my that is my number one goal, because in building relationships and getting closer to one another, you build that trust with one another. And trust is all that you have to rely on when it go when when the the shit hits the fan we have to rely on one another and if i i can't trust you man what are we doing here you know what are we doing here yeah no i, I agree agreed i mean you know because you hear that once in a while when you become like a battalion chief well you're not one of the guys anymore yeah technically i mean it's like yeah. a yes it's like a yes or no but there's certain things you shouldn't forget like yes if yep. you're eating and the guys get a call and they're about done I mean, like if I came back and everything was done, I'd be like, whoa, what happened here? And if the chief was like, yeah, guys, I got it. I mean, that's number one, that would stick for me in my mind and it would make me go the distance for yep. that chief. That's what yep. that does. It's not a look at me, look at what I did. It's for your guys to go, I'm going to give 100% all effort to my chief when I'm on duty. That's what that does. That's right. That's exactly right. Love it. Love it. Love it. Um. Oh. So one of your uh, uh, one of your topics you want to hit on was communication amongst the ranks from top yeah. down, down up. So yep. I'm gonna let you have it. Yeah. So it's it's been a difficult deal to to really make happen. I think, and I, I don't think I have it figured out. I'm sure that there's others out there that have it figured out way better than I do. Um. So I had been doing. Uh, we do a morning meeting and my shift changes until 11. So the guys get on at eight. I come on at 11. Uh, so what I, what I wanted to do is like set up like, Hey, how can we make sure that you guys can get started with your day where you're not? And I know they wouldn't wait on me, but I don't want them waiting for me to get there to get like going. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we set up a team's meeting uh, when they get on at eight and it, we do our meeting at eight 30. It's a very quick, like, Hey, this is what I got going for the shift. What do y'all have? All right. I'll see you when I get there and we'll meet up and we'll, we'll go through whatever we have planned for the day. Well, on top of that, what we do is, you know, we try and meet at least monthly, if not every other month is a shift. Well, at one of those meetings, one of the, the drivers kind of brought up, like, I wish that you would kind of spend time because like I said, we, we do this book group uh, with the lieutenants already so there's a lot of FaceTime that I get with the lieutenants and obviously I'm training with the guys and then gear workouts with the guys. So I do get to see them, but it's not a whole lot of one-on-one -on -one time. Right. 
And what I do also is I rotate through the stations for dinner. So I don't just eat at station one, like I'll go to twos and eat with them and then I'll go to threes and so on and so forth. Well, in one of the meetings, uh, one of the drivers brought up like, hey, I know you do this book club with the the lieutenants. What about doing like a, a question answer session with uh, each rank throughout the department? I was like, no, that's a great idea. So now what we're doing is I do the book club with the uh, the lieutenants on an, uh, we try a shift basis, but it hasn't always worked out. You know how right. shift goes. Right. Uh, but every other month, what I'll do is I'll meet with the drivers one-on-one. -on -one, and we just did this a while back and we just started it. So the first time I kind of brought out a, a series of questions just to kind of spark some conversation. And it was very basic questions like, what can I do to help you a little bit better in your job? Uh, what do, what did they visualize as a proactive driver, like that kind of stuff. I just want to see what they had and just to spark some conversation. I did the same thing with the firefighters, had a series of five questions, uh, talked to them. And now we flip flop every other month. I'm either meeting with the drivers or the, 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 uh, the firefighters. This next time that we go through, I ask that each one of them brings a question to the table because I don't want always to be hey, Tom's going to bring these silly questions. Like, I want to hear what you want to talk, talk about. Mm -hmm. Like, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily have to be about what we have going on either. Like, is there something that you want to see new? By all means, bring it to the table. So having those open lanes of communication, I think, one, you got to build the relationship. And that comes from spending time with them, which the intent behind going to each station for dinner. So I get to know them better. They get to know me better. It's also doing the hard stuff with them. Like doing the gear workouts where you're sweating and they're seeing you uh, go through the same pain that they're going through. Like that builds trust and it builds uh, builds empathy with one another. The next part is the outside of work stuff. We we've hosted a couple times at our house. Uh, one of the lieutenants has had uh, a shift get together at his place. Uh, we're getting ready to host another one. We tried to do an, uh, before Christmas. It just didn't work out with scheduling. So we're going to do an after Christmas, Christmas get together with the shit. Um, but you have to do that. Uh, Corley talked about it in his, in his nine L's book. Like when you, when you see somebody outside of work with their kid, it humanizes them by humanizing somebody. Like you see somebody with their kid and you may be madder than damn it at them at shift. But when you see them with their kid and interacting with their wife, like that makes them human to you. And it's very difficult to get mad at somebody at that point. Like all that kind of goes away and you're like, oh, this person's an actual human. I care about them and I want the best for them. So I think that it's it's kind of a, it's a tiered approach. You've got to spend the time. You got to do the hard stuff with them. You got to interact outside of work and then they'll be willing to talk to you. They also have to trust you too. So you got to have their back. One thing that I always tell my guys is you can make the wrong decision and that's fine. As long as you have a reason why you made it, I'm going to back you. And then once you get back, we'll discuss like, hey, maybe there's a better way of doing this. But I'm always going to have your back, no matter what. As long as there's reason and intent behind the decision that you made. And that decision and intent was, I was trying to do what's best for the citizen or whatever to mitigate that call or that run. I got your back, man. And I'll, I'll, I'll die on that carpet for you, man. I'll, I'll, I will absolutely take that sword. I'll stand in front of that truck. I'll do whatever I got to do. I'm going to have your back. So you got to build that trust with them. And then again, I've not always been good at it. Like 
my wife likes to tell me she she describes it as I idle high, right? Okay. Like I idle high, and what she means is I react very quickly to things, but that's the nature of our job. My problem is is I don't have an on and off switch. When I get home, she has to remind me, "Hey, you're not at work. Mm-hmm. Calm down." Like it's we said we were going to leave at five thirty, and I'm sitting in the car like honking the horn, let's go. And she's like, yeah, but it's not that serious. But what we're used to is the tone dropped. I got to get in that car and I got to go. It's been difficult, especially for, for me, because I do, I, 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 I want efficiency and I want things done quickly. And, and, and I want it, I want it done to the best of the ability that's possible. My, my, the difficulty is my interaction. I think you just talked about it. Uh, well, I just listened to the tank, uh, podcast. Mm-hmm. That you, uh, in fact, I listened to the rest of it today. The inner, you talked about interaction, you and him were talking about interaction and how you do that. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Like I'm not the best all the time because it's hard for me to hide my passion for this job. Mm-hmm. It, it's very, very difficult. And what I've found is I'm not always successful at getting my message across in the appropriate way. And that's something that has humbled me very much. And and I continuously want to do, and I also listen to Rick George, right? And I love Rick, man. He's been over to the house. Mm. Yeah, man. He came over to my house a while back and we we sat out in the garage and smoked some, some cigars and dude, that man right there, he's, he is an amazing person with an amazing story that absolutely is just so impactful. He is, he, I feel like he's a master of a, he, he is a master at getting the message across in the right way. It's something that I need to learn. He also talked about, it's a lot of internal work, right? You have to do mm-hmm. the internal work in order to, 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 to be good at getting that message across to others. And it's something that I really have to be cognizant of because I've, like I said, I've just not always been successful at getting my message across to people. I've had problems at, at the department I used to work for as well as the department that I work at now, because my, my intent is I want you to be good at this job. I want to give you everything that I have. And sometimes it feels like just verbal diarrhea on people. And then like, Oh, this dude's just here to like make us look bad. And like, no, that's not my intent. I just want you to elevate. Mm -hmm. One of our expectations for our shift is, in fact, it's the first one, we set all of our expectations and our standards to what the citizens expect. And then I also put in there a quote from Chief Mo Davis. Chief Mo Davis says, when the citizens lay their bed, their children to bed at night, we are their keepers. What that says to me is the citizens already set the standard. They set the expectation. Period. End of story. There's no other real expectation that needs to be set. We just have to meet their standard and their expectation. So in our expectations, it says we are there to meet the standard of the citizens. That's a difficult goal to attain because I know that, you know, Cody Testro went out and he did that deal with his wife where they were up in uh, one of the bar places, like a open air deal. And they asked people like, what do you expect of your fire department? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, You know, put out the fire, right? Uh, come and get me on my worst day, like solve my problem. What it comes down to, though, is I live in the city that I work in now, and I'll tell you what my expectation is. If I'm if I'm incapacitated in my bed, my daughter is in that room, and I expect you to come and get her. 
that means to me, every time that I go out the door, I set my standard to that because I know what the citizens expect. And I, my intent is to be the best that I can at every skill set so that I can come and get that, get that person when they, when they need us. Right. And a lot of folks, you know, are, we're a smaller department. We only have, you know, we're, we're just under 40,000 people in population shirts as much the same. So 80,000 total population, that's a fairly small to medium size uh, department. If you put both of us together, right. Right. You can sit there and say like, oh, it'll never happen to us. It'll never happen. Well, you just posted the other day about that department. Was it in South Carolina, correct? Uh, it was actually North Carolina. North Carolina, yeah. right? A, 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 a smaller organization that yeah. you could say never happened here. Never going to happen, right? But there were two infants. Correct. That they had to come and get out. Correct. Yeah. So you can you can sit there and, and play the game of like, oh, it'll never happen to us. But will it? Are you ready? Like, that's the intent. We always have to be prepared. It might not happen. It may never happen in your career. Mm -hmm. But do you want to be left wanting when it does happen? Because mm -hmm. I'll tell you right now, I don't. And I, I don't ever want any one of my people to feel the way that you would feel if you weren't fully prepared to go and do your job. That 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 That's just silly to me. Like... I feel like it's just a silly argument to even have and people have it right. They'll, yep. they'll argue till they're blue in the face. Like this Absolutely. will never happen. Yeah. Right. Okay, cool. Like God, I hope it doesn't. I really do for, yep. for arguing that it's not going to happen. I hope that it doesn't, but man, if it does, it's going to hurt. Yeah. You know? it's no, gonna hurt. <laughs> no, I, I, I man, hundred percent agreed. One thing I spoke to a buddy of mine who talked to the firefighter who arrived second due to that incident. He is, I, I think, and if he's, if he listens or somebody listens, if I'm wrong, I, I, I'll, uh, somebody let me know and I'll, I'll correct it. But I think he's, he's been on two or three years. He had two grabs that, that night. He made two grabs, something sure. we've all dreamed about. I know it's horrible to, for anybody that's not in fire service to, to hear, but like a grab is a grand slam in this, in this business. And he yeah. was able to make two granted they, they unfortunately, they 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 were gone, but before the fire department got there. Right. But still, he 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 was able to get it done. He was able to do something twice that people that go 35, 40 years never see in their career. Yep. You know, yeah. it's it's crazy. That's insane. And the the thing about that is like it it may never happen to you, but why not be over prepared than under prepared? Right. Uh, I've been been teaching for a while now and, uh, you know, within the department, as well as being able to, to travel and, and get the opportunity to go, you know, spread the, the good word. This job is a lot more fun when you're good at it. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, I, I equate it. I don't know. If you, you're a football fan, right? Like, you sure. like football. yeah. Okay. So, you know, you, you see these college football uh, quarterbacks like they'll come in and they'll get into the NFL and, you know, they're starting or whatever. And they end up being just absolute dog crap, right? Mm -hmm. Well, then you you listen to these guys, and what I've seen multiple of them say within the you know two three years within being in the in the NFL, like they start talking about like the game slowed down, right? And what that means is now they're able to read a defense, they understand their offense, and then they can call the audibles. 
everything slowed down. So I kind of make that transition. I tell, I told the guys this the other day at the RIT class that we taught. When the game slows down for us, the way I equate that is when you think about the first time you ever pulled your pre-connect. When you first pull your pre-connect, I'm, I'm willing to bet that you probably had to focus in on where do my hands go? You're very focused in on all these small tactile skills. Where the game slows down for us is where that's now muscle memory. Because what occurs from there is now my eyes are facing towards the building and I start to paint the bigger picture. I'm starting to read rooms. Hey, that window looks like a bedroom. That looks like a bathroom. There's the dining room. There's the kitchen. Now I have a, a picture from the outside of when I break through this and I can't see anything. I understand what this looks like. That's how we slow our game down. We have to have all these skill sets built into muscle memory so that the game slows down for us. It, it, it's an amazing thing when, when, and it, it takes years, uh, you know, some of the guys in the, the larger city departments, they do that by experience and they get it within, you know, one, two, three years, whatever. Some smaller departments that don't get as much fire duty, it could take 10 years before you start to actually slow the game down. Right. Mm -hmm. I specifically remember for me, the first, the first fire, when I pulled the line up, man, I messed it up by the numbers. I messed it up by the numbers. Well, went back and trained made it to muscle memory at the five year mark is where I started to feel comfortable. And what, what's pretty interesting is at five years, you get to that point where you're like, all right, I'm starting to get this, like stuff's making more sense. But then that very next year, I'll never forget like, Oh, I don't even understand anything. Like there's so much more to this job that I had no clue. Our, our size department, meaning my size department, we don't have a truck company. We don't have specialized units. So you're expected to be able to be good at all the, the modalities that we need to be good at when we go to a fire. That's a lot to ask of a person. Chief Scott Thompson the other day talked about uh, when we were, we were in uh, Arkansas at First In, and he gave his presentation. And he talked about how we are very close to maxing out the mental capacity of our firefighters. Because we've added, like, this is, I feel like this is where the fire service has been terrible. The fire service, we've said yes, all the time. They say, hey, we need somebody to run EMS. Yeah, yeah, fire department will do that. Hey, we need somebody to do technical rope rescue. Yeah, no problem. Confined space, trench rescue, hazmat, all this stuff. And it's like, man, when Chief Scott Thompson said that, I was like, man, he's 100% right. Uh -huh. Now, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be able to do those things. But first things first, what does it say on the side of our truck? It says, <laughs> you know, that I talked to you about Chief, or now Chief, and he's a chief in Playsto. Uh, his name's Kristen Knutson. He was my training officer, right? When we went paid, he took the training officer job. And the first thing that he did is he pulled all the firefighters in there. And he said, first things first, we're going to be good at fire. You want to specialize and go to all these special classes? That's great. But first things first, we're going to we're going to be good at fire. I've carried that forward from since he said that that's what I'm going to focus on first, because that's what it says on the side of our trucks. And if you go your go to your local Walmart, your local grocery store, ask your citizens what they expect. I'm almost willing to bet I, I, I would almost put a thousand dollars down. That ain't nobody going to say hazmat. They ain't going to say special rope rescue. They ain't going to say confined space or, or trench. They're going to talk about fire and putting it out or coming and getting them if they're in a fire. So again, going back to what the citizens expect of us, expectations set, all we got to do is meet it. It's not that difficult. Like 
I say it's not that difficult. It is difficult. And it's a lifelong venture that you'll never end. Uh, but the work on setting the expectations already done. Just go do it. Go do the work. Mm, truth bomb right there. I, I, there. I've said that. I've said that a couple times to different people on, on, on different episodes, but I like it when a chief says it because it's so true. And like, like you said, I'm going to second you. I'm not taking away that. Yes, we need to be good at that or the other, right. but I like how you put it. I, yeah. You're not going to go to an individual and go, what do you expect? Oh, I, I expect them to know how to do a Prusik knot, uh, five to one inline yeah. Z drag. None. Of, I mean, that's great that you know how to do that, but yeah. it says fire department and yes, certain areas, certain jurisdictions, fires are down. Yeah. EMS is up, yeah. but it's still a bread and butter thing of what we do if a house fire comes out they're not going to dispatch the police department to go put it out nope. they're going to dispatch the fire department and if you fumble on your hose lines you fumble on your search tactics but you can do a whatever mechanical advantage with this brake bar that's awesome and like i said i'm not throwing any shade to my rescue guys that are out there but there are departments that have lost sight yes. of it being the fire department first agreed yep it should be. And honestly, like who signed up for all that? The the guys that, that we have working for us, the guys and gals that work for us and work with us, they didn't sign up to go do all the freaking hanging off of a rope or hazmat. I'll tell you that right now. They signed up to come and fight fire. Like that, that's what they wanted to be good at. Feed that passion. Like feed that. That's what you need to do. Another interesting exercise. We got back from uh first in in Arkansas at Little Rock, right? And Chief uh Chief Scott Thompson again, like. Man, that that dude is amazing. Just we, if, if if we had more, we need more Chief Scott Thompson's in the fire service. If you've ever listened to him though, like he 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 kind of laid it out on the table and he said one of the things that that they did at the colony when they were going through that colony project was they asked what they asked the firefighters, what is your idea of being a firefighter? I was like, that's a silly question, but I never thought about that. Like Ask the people what they thought that was going to be. So when when I got back, I asked my people, I asked everybody on Sea Shift. I was like, "Hey, what is your idea of being a firefighter?" Not one of them said anything about hazmat. Not one of them said anything about technical rescue or confined space or any of that crap. They talked about being aggressive as a firefighter, being physically fit, understanding the skill sets. Like, okay, now we have that definition. Now, all I got to do is just feed that because once you feed that, that progresses them forward, it progresses the shift forward, it progresses the city forward, progresses the department forward, and it serves our citizens better. Like, it's like, it's almost so simplistic that it's just like one of those, like, why didn't I think of that? Duh moments. Like, it, it was insane when he hit us with that at, at first in. I was just like, wow. I, I've probably got two pages of notes from his, his presentation. I was just like, a, a you know a deer in headlights like just mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. keep coming keep giving me more give me more give me more <laughs> no i i mean he's 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 like the the mystical unicorn yep. it's because what, what what's so crazy about it is when you hear him talk everything he says it's granted yes he's the fire chief he holds rank but yes. it's that thing of he never forgot never. what it's what it's like like he knows this is what we are here for. It's it's absolutely great if you can provide these services to your community where the 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 uh, 
the fire department that's covering that jurisdiction and area can do all that, that I call it the Swiss army knife. Like they can do yeah. jack of all trades work. Yeah. But if you're bread and butter, if you're fire and if you're fire and your EMS skills suck, I'm sorry, yeah. that's, that's bad. Yep. You know, <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. You might be great. You might got first place at the hazmat conference, but that doesn't really help the community you serve. <laughs> so, and, and one thing I wanted to add to your, uh, you said it a while back, the, the, the passion, the drive, the having the switch to turn it on and off. I can relate that with you because my delivery was, wasn't always the greatest to other people because I'd come into work and I'd see the station looking a different way or the truck, especially the truck, like that's the truck yeah. coming in, the truck's dirty. And I'd wonder why, doesn't this crew or these group of individuals care about the truck like I do? And granted, I, I'm I'm a little different. I am very OCD when it comes to that. But you can tell when somebody at least tries to clean the truck, and when they just half-ass it. Yep. And so it would it would I get frustrated, man. It would boil me down to the core. Like I get mad, but at the end of the day, there's nothing you could do about it. So now what I do is come in. I'll nonchalantly look at the station to see if they've cleaned it. I go outside and just take a peek at the truck. And if they don't, I'll take care of it. Yep. That's just, that's just the way, because, yeah. because having conversations with them might work. It might just piss them off more. And, yeah. you know, so it's like, instead of just going through all that, I'm just gonna just, just, just do it yourself. So you're not the only person out there that, yeah. that, that has that issue. It's, it's the, the, and I understand everybody's passion of the fire service is different, but I'm sorry, if you are in this business to be good at it, your passion and your drive should probably match mostly everybody else's, you know, you, uh, unless you're just there for the the status, the t-shirt, you know, that type of bravado stuff, then yeah, you're definitely not a good fit. But I mean, we need guys and gals to put some effort in it. Yeah. In absolutely. everything you do, you know, everything you do speaks to your character how you leave the station, how your gear is set up, how you train, all that little stuff comes back. And some people might not care, but my last name is all I got. Mm -hmm. So if somebody goes, hey, Danny did this, he took care of this, you know it's going to be top tier shape because that's just how I was, that's just how it was instilled in me coming in this profession. I don't want to be a shit bag. I don't want to be known as a shit bag. So I'm going to try my best to do what I got to do. And yeah, it boils me when you, when you have people that don't have that drive, it's just yeah. like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. Yeah. I think where, where I come off wrong is, I guess it's mostly um, when it comes to the level of expectation that I have for uh, skill set level and like training, like don't, don't pencil whip training. Don't just, throw in there that like, all right, we, we did some, like, I don't know. I could go off on the weeds in this, but, I, and I'm not going to, but you could, you could do uh, just for an instance, like, all right, we watch these videos and I, I'm fine with that. Like there's a time and a place for videos, mm -hmm. but at a certain time and place, you got to go put boots on the ground and, and foot to ass and actually do some stuff. Right. You can't always just watch videos. Well, my issue is that uh, when when I have that expectation, it comes out. Uh, like I said, uh, my wife states it as I idle high, and a lot of times I even have to like when I when I do a class, uh, like I told you, we do that writ class. 
I have to preface before I even start the lecture, like, hey, listen, I'm not yelling. This is just my passion coming out for this specific skill set. I'm not yelling at you. I'm, I don't think you're substandard. I'm not going to, to judge you. What I'm trying to get across to you is how important this is, right? When it comes to like cleaning the trucks and the station, uh, what I found and what I found as a company officer is I kind of stood back and, and, you know, I'd be out there washing the truck with them. And I, you know, I was kind of watching everything that we do has a time frame set to it. Right. Like even like the tones go off, right. I got to get the truck this quick. All right. We got to respond in a quick and efficient manner. All right. Once we get there, we got to get the 12 lead on. We got to make sure, you know, that we have blood pressure, all the, all the, you know, the vitals, whatever. Right. When I, when I realized that, what I realized the guys were doing is they were taking that mentality of I've got to do this quick rather than I've got to do this the right way. So from there forward, what I would do is have this discussion of like, hey, listen, like there's a lot of stuff that we do that is set to the time clock. Cleaning the station and washing the truck is not one of those things. That is the one place or the couple place in time that we're not on a clock. Mm -hmm. We can take our time. We're going to do it right. The citizens paid for that. We're just taking care of it for them. Mm -hmm. We need to give it the care that it deserves because those things are not cheap. I don't know if like, sure. <laughs> we're like one of our engines that we just ordered, I believe it was like right at a million dollars, right? For we're an engine. Ready. Yeah. For an engine. an engine. Yeah. We're getting ready to order a platform. And I think we've got like 1.8 set aside for that. Like that's insane. And then the build times for these damn things are like three. <laughs> years. Like what are you talking about? Yeah. Right? Yeah. But for, for me, what that means is like, that means we have to take that much more care of these things. Exactly. Citizens are investing in us to make sure we have the right equipment. It's our job to make sure that it's ready to go for them when they need it, because it, ultimately it belongs to them, not us. We're just renting it while we're there. Yeah. And, and what, 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 what kills me is when you see like it's left in disarray or things that should have been caught, aren't, aren't caught, aren't, you know, logged that piece of equipment that is a vital component in making sure you can do your job right that's right so why not take care that's the only i i just and i get it like some people some people don't i go a little overzealous overboard with the tire shine and all that but that's just me but at least wash the thing like keep it clean it is like you said a million dollars for an engine now two million on aerials treat it it's, it's not your pickup if that's how you treat your pickup cool but it's, you know what I mean? Like, it's one of those, it's a pet peeve of mine. And, but yes, anyways, anyways. So uh, I want to tell you this. The other day I was out front. So it had rained. Uh, the streets has kind of dried off, right? So our our chief, our battalion chief's buggy, it's white with with black. Because uh, okay. we tried to order uh, a black one. Uh, so our fire department colors are, are black and gray, uh, black and silver, right? So what we ended up having to do was get a white truck. So it's a white 2500 Dodge and uh, it's got the, the striping and everything on it. Well, white obviously gets very dirty with the streets. So the streets had started to dry off enough to where like, I, I'm not going to drive this damn thing around. Well, I was out there washing it and uh, an older gentleman that was coming across because our city, uh, our billing for water and, and, and trash is in our uh, department because they're doing a renovation of city hall right now. So he comes across, he's, and I said, Hey, sir, how are you doing? He just kind of gave me this huh, and kept walking. I was like, all right, cool. Like, whatever. Good to see you. Like, 
So then he comes back out and I was like, have a great day, sir. And he was like, you know, it's going to rain tomorrow. I was like, yes, sir. I do know it's going to rain tomorrow, but you provided us this equipment. My intent is to make sure that it's ready and looks good for when we respond to you. And he kind of cocked his head to the side and he just kind of said, thank you. And then he walked on. <laughs> I was like, there, there was the expectation there. He just Right. didn't realize it because he was thinking, oh, this dude's just out here wasting his time. That's not what I was doing. I was out there taking care of the piece of equipment that they provided us. That That's what I was doing. Because Right. I'm not right around in a dirty vehicle. Like, that Right. ain't happening. Right. Right. No, oh, no, I get it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, another hot topic or another big question. Uh, Uh, topic you want to shed light on, which I agree to the transition from Yeah. the rig to the BC role. And this is, this is the highlight of it. The need to making sure that the right people are in that position. Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, so I've had, uh, especially within like the first three to four months, a lot of folks would ask like, Hey, how's the, the new role? Just like, you know, you give them the standard answer. Like, yeah, it's cool. Like, it's awesome. I'm really enjoying it. And I was, I, and I still am like, I'm loving it. But the parts that you leave out is you don't have that camaraderie. Like you kind of, you keyed off on it earlier a little bit, right? Like, yeah, you're part of the crew, but you're really not part of the crew. Mm-hmm. Like, I am part of the shift, but not part of one specific crew. So, you know, we'd, we'd go out on a run and, you know, normally in the engine, you correct me if I'm wrong, like you'd be talking shit on the way back or like Mm -hmm. high fives after you did a, you know, great job. And I find myself like I was coming back from a run and I was kind of looking around like, I guess I can high five myself like this, right? Right, right. So what I've had to do is find where, where is that joy now, right? Like what, what is it that drives me? And I kind of told you a little bit already is what I've found through this last year and 10 months is my job is to support those people so that they can go and get their job done. My job is to give them what they need. So what I've found is joy in that. I find joy in the successes of each one of the companies, as well as the successes of the shift, as well as the successes of the department and the city that I work for. When they go out and they kill it and, you know, the chief receives a phone call from whoever saying, listen, these guys did awesome. Or my guys pull over and change a tire for somebody on the side of the road. Like, that's what I find joy in now. It's not the same kind of joy as what you would have when you're riding on a rig. But it's a different kind of joy. And it's something that I feel that a lot of people are we have people out there like you talk about or folks talk about the 1% or the 5% or whatever in this job that really get it and care. You look across the board and most of those people probably aren't going to be wanting to go to uh, a shift commander or an administrative position, right? The problem with that is, is that if those folks aren't doing it, who else is going to do it, right? So now I feel like we've found ourselves, and I, I'm very lucky. Like my fire chief is an amazing person. He's not so far removed from the rig that he doesn't get it, right? But I've worked for fire chiefs that are way too far removed, or they just moved up the ranks too fast, and they never really truly understood what riding a rig meant or being part of a team meant.
what they did is they focused solely on, I'm going to get to this position within the fire department. What we need is kind of that taking back of the fire service. Like there's this grassroots of like this push of we're taking back what a firefighter is. But I think what we're missing is we've also got to take back that company level uh, officer position. We've got to take back the shift commander position. We've got to take back the assistant chief and the chief's positions. Because if you don't do that, like you'll never have the totality of the department on the same page. You're going to be fighting one versus the other. And man, I struggle with that too, because, uh, you know, obviously I took the battalion chief's position, but I still struggle with it because I, I don't really want to go do the admin side, but my concern is if I don't, then who will? Uh, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And not to say that I've got it figured out and not to say that I'm the right person for the job. I, by all means, and, and I'm probably not the one that you want in an administrative position, because like I said, I don't care for paperwork. But what I can say is I have worked for an assistant chief that wasn't far removed from the rig. And I saw the benefit that he provided for the boots on the ground. Cause we can never forget that the boots on the ground are the ones that actually get the work done. Like sure. Your chief has to go and my chief does it. And he does an amazing job of going to city council and asking for the things that we need. But I've also worked for fire chiefs that just don't care. You can, you can talk to him until you're blue in the face. Like, listen, we need to change this tactic. We need to understand that most of our folks can't flow and move. We need to understand that half of our people can't even force a door if we ask them to. We need to understand that most of our people aren't physically fit for the job. Like, why aren't these things getting taken care of? Because if if the department as a whole, like as a company officer, I can set my standard and say, you're going to work out one hour a day or one hour a shift. And I expect that you're going to be physically fit. But if the department would do that, holy crap bingo and then if we yearly test ourselves and say hey we have this physical entrance exam that we ask our our oncoming that we're going to interview people but like you can't pass it that's a problem why not run that yearly why not have a standard and you know i love you know chief reinwald and chief romagus over at east montgomery county they they kind of follow that Air Force deal where it's like the mile and a half run or you have a row option and then it's push up, sit up, so on and so forth. Right. And I love what they do. And what I would love to see us do is the same thing. The administrative chiefs and the battalion chiefs run it in front of the entirety of the companies first. Set that standard. Show them that you're willing and able to do it first and then ask them to do it. Don't just say, hey, you're going to be held to the standard and I'm not. No, 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 no. That ain't going to work. Cause now you don't have buy-in. If I, if I walked out there and I was unable to, to do a gear workout or keep pace with the guys, you know, I, I'm lucky, but my guys probably wouldn't, they wouldn't really say a whole lot or they might, I don't know, but I, I would, if I wasn't able to keep pace with them, my thought process would be like, who's this joker, man? Like who, why is he telling us to do all this stuff, but he can't even do it. Mm-hmm. Like be, be the first person, you know, you talk, I've heard you talk on multiple podcasts because I'm a fan of your podcast, Danny. I mean, I, I think you're doing a great thing for the fire service. And I, I hope that you continue because it's an amazing thing. The things that I hear come out of there is the whole, like, be unafraid to fail. We have to, like, if we're going to a training deal, like I've been, I know that you've been to multiple conferences. I've been to multiple conferences that I, I've, I've been there and you watch and there's these people that stand in the back rather than be the first person to go. 
Like it almost ought to be a fight to be the first person to go, but it never is. <laughs> never, yeah, yeah. never. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, but we have to set that tone within our department. Like, hey, listen, we're not going to make fun of you. We're going to teach you. If you if you fail, I'm here to pick you up. I would rather you fail in training so we don't do it in the real world. Be willing to put out your your uh, your weaknesses so that we can make them strengths. Right, your weaknesses where we need to like we should focus on that to build it to a strength. And then we can just solely focus on the strengths to build the strengths up even better. Like it, it it's, it's silly. And I, I love like, so Kevin Fluger, you had him on a while back, right? He's the first person that I heard talk about unafraid to fail at trainings. And we were teaching with a, uh, an engine ops cadre that uh, he would put that out there every time that we would go to train. And that's what like that initially kicked me off to like, oh, shoot, like that's what they were afraid of. People are afraid to fail in front of others because they're not willing to show their weakness. But if you're unwilling to identify your weakness, we don't know what to work on. Don't be afraid to fail. Ain't nobody going to make fun of you. We're here to we're here to help. We're right. here to, to make whatever it is better. And there's going to be things that I'm weak at that you're probably going to make me better at. Right. That, that's that give and take. That's that. That's that trust we have to have with one another. No, I, 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 I totally agree. Um, Corley says it best regarding. We have such hard chargers that want to remain on the truck, want to remain with the guys that when it comes to starting going forward, I battalion chief and up, they don't want to do it. And I get it. It's administrative work, but if we don't, who will most likely it's the pencil pushers, the ones who climbed up the rank super fast, the ones that just want the status of saying, I'm the fire chief, I'm the deputy chief. Those are the individuals we do not want in these roles because they're going to come up with these bogus rules, these bogus procedures, because they don't have the experience to back it up. Exactly so right. it, it's a two-sided coin. I get it. You don't want to lose the guys on the truck to have the experience, but if we were to, if if you if you were to have those the the lieutenants, the captains, the bosses on the truck, teach it downwards and then move up, the cycle should still continue. Like, and and I and I and I, but I totally get I I get why people don't want to do it because, like you said, it's a culture shock. It's an adjustment where you want to give that high five, but you it's just you in a Tahoe or you in a pickup. <laughs> And you're like, shit, I don't have anybody to say, yeah, we did good. I'm like, I, I get it. That would suck. Yeah. But unfortunately, we need those chiefs. And that's what we're seeing. Most places. Yeah. Some places are seeing that. Like the colony's thriving. Oh. Um, I'm sure the shifts where Clyde Gordon and Mo Davis command, those shifts are thriving. Uh, different jurisdictions in Baltimore, anywhere that's job town that has actual guys or has chiefs that never forget where they came from those departments most likely thrive and they are the ones that thrive yep. uh because they never forget what it's like and they expect they have expectations they have standards and if these standards aren't met they're not afraid to go hey sir ma'am you're not meeting it here's remediation we need to get at it and if not then it is what it is we we don't need you. But right. nowadays it's hard because we're not getting the applicants that we need. Right. And so chiefs don't want to 
they don't want to ruffle feathers. And I get it. The society has changed too. You know, it's, uh, you probably can't say that. Listen, this citizen, Mr. or Mrs. Smith, don't want to hear, well, th this fireman couldn't come get you because he sucked a cylinder down because we we allowed him to slip on his physical fitness standards. And I'm yep. sorry, he tried his best. They don't want to hear that. A, a parent that's showing, hey, my, my child is in this window. They want the firefighter to go get them. That's not going to be out of shape, out of breath, huffing and puffing. But, you know, and I, and I think that kind of has to do with the department. But I also think human resources might play a part. I understand we need human resources. There are things that are unacceptable in the workplace, 100% agreed. But when you allow HR to dictate how a fire department is going to run, that's where the problem is because they are not firefighters. They work in cubicles in offices eight to five after that they go home. They don't work 24s or 48s. They don't see what we see. They don't experience failure, success, rage, grief from a parent. They do none of that shit. And it's it's one of those things where a, a chief should see that and go, I understand, yes, you need to have your little rules of engagement or whatever within the department. But when it comes to this, this is my realm, not yours. And if they were to step up and do that, I think that would go a long way. But I mean, it's, it's no common, it, it, it's not, or it's common knowledge. All the successful fire departments, successful shifts, successful companies, they all have hard chargers who know what the job is and are backed by their officers and their battalion chiefs. 100% right, man. That's it, you know, and and like like to me, you would at some point in your career, and and here's the other thing, we get older in this business. As, as we get older, our bodies start hurting more because this this is a young man's game, 100%. Hey, yes. Hey, I'm going to have to take a quick break. My wife, okay. just, just give me one sec. I'm sorry. Okay, no, you're good. What I was saying was you would be like a prime example of a perfect fire chief. I know you might not want to, because that's the fire chief. It's a lot of politics, a lot of meetings, but without individuals like you, without individuals like Scott Thompson, um, uh, there's so many other chiefs. Uh, like you said, uh, Romagus, um, you know, anybody that fits that criteria that never forgets the, the, the mission of we're here for the citizens and then the men, the women, and not forgetting what it's like to be a fireman, that's what we need going forward to make this great. Like you said, the movement of we're trying to take the fire department back from a physical fitness uh, standpoint, training standpoint, it also needs to trickle up. Yep. And I mean, I know it's a job that not everybody wants to do, but we can't complain. And that goes for myself. Like I can't complain, but granted, I have no desire to be any of those roles because those roles, you know, you got to have the, you got to have the education to back it up. And I'm not willing to go back to school so i mean i'm a blue collar guy but what i what i will try to do i will try to affect the most positive change in the position that i'm in and if i can't or if you find yourself in a department that's not doing that that's not what you're wanting to do then unfortunately you got to go somewhere else right yeah yeah i don't, I don't know so go back to uh you know kind of what you said about 
the the chief that you know hr wants to drive something right and you we, i talked about it with one of my lieutenants his name was is luke gentry and we were kind of talking about uh how the, i had a fire chief previously that he had retired from san antonio his name's david covington he used to work for shirts and when i watched him kind of deal with all the other city departments specifically administrative side like he wasn't afraid to tell him no but that was from an absence of fear, right? Because he didn't need that job. He already had a retirement. He was doing that because he loved it. Now, was he also building up his retirement? Sure, he was. No, no secret, right? <laughs> but he also didn't need the job. So he wasn't afraid to say, no, that's not how we're going to do it. You hired me to do a job, which is run the fire department. And this is the way I'm going to do it. You're not going to tell me how to do it. Now, I'll also say that you have to work as a team, right? Because a city as a whole you look at the administrative side. So like, you know, your city manager's office, your, um, uh, all that, all that comes with that HR and all that, like, yes, do you need to work to be on the same team? Absolutely. But at a certain point, the fire department within itself is, is set apart just like the police department. I believe the police department has their traditions and you should not impede their tradition or the ability for them to do what they think they need to do. Right. The fire department is much the same. We have a we're we're slammed with tradition, which is a beauty. It's it's an absolutely beautiful thing. We should embrace that. We should also start traditions within our 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 department, our city. Right? We should have those those traditions. We should be allowed to run the way that it should. You should hire the right person to do that job. And the best way that I've found that I love to work is give me what I need and stay the hell out of my way. Mm-hmm. That's all I need. Give me what, give me the tools that I need to succeed and then just get out of the way and let me do my thing. There's others that need a little bit more guidance and I get that. And, you know, you can provide that where you need to, but a lot of people, if you would just give them what they need and get out of their way and allow them to succeed, they will do more work for you than you would could ever imagine possible. But you can't sit there and have your thumb over them and be like, no, you did it the wrong way. This is how I wanted it done. Why didn't you just do it in the first place? Or why did you even give them the job to do? Like, just give them the tools and stay out of their way, man. Like, it's amazing what people can do if they're given the right things, if they're given the right tools and allowed to do the job. Uh, absolutely. I mean, that's that, that's all we want. We, You know, we don't want to be micromanaged. Yes, there's got to be checks and balances. You're always going to have a bad apple that's going to take a little bit more than we're given, and you need to correct that. But most firemen just want to do their job without being without being held back on a leash you know and and to me there's no greater accomplishment than when and i saw it the other day uh isaac fraser got he he got a a medal uh, some sort of medal of valor a bunch of uh wichita guys did but what i forgot how you put it on there but he was like it starts from the top administration expects these guys to go out and do their job. So when you have the backing of your administration to go do this, go after it, you, they're trying, they're not holding you back like a wild pack of dogs. Like these are hard charges, go getters. Your department's going to thrive. Yep. It's going to thrive. Loose. Let them <laughs> loose. Like we don't, we don't want to be tied by, policies well did you go by this policy because if you did then you you know it, it leads to this path to that path 
yes, policies and procedures, guidelines need to be in place, but the fire ground, you, you cannot write a policy or an SOG off the fire ground because the fire ground's ever changing. It's ever evolving. Yep. Yep. I 100% I agree. And to go even further than that, like you, you look at it, right. And we, we've been talking about, you know, what the citizens expect. And I'll tell you right now, they don't expect four dumbasses on a unit to show up. They want <laughs> four brain surgeons, four neuroscientists to show up and solve their problem, whatever that may be. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was a company officer, I, the, the crew that I left to come to Cibolo, I had a real hard time leaving them because I truly cared and loved those guys. And I still do. I still keep in touch. We were, we had been together for about two years. Uh, and when we started out, obviously it wasn't that way. You know, I kind of got thrown that new crew and it was like, all right, kind of starting over. Let's go. Like, let's start working. And I had this, I had a driver, his name's Justin Straczynski. And he, he is probably one of the most intelligent people that I know when it comes to the fire ground. Like he just, he had the ability to like pick things up that fast and he remembered it forever. And then I had uh, one of my firemen, his name is Eric Herzog. He was much the same way of ju as Justin. And the cool thing about Herzog was that he was so physically fit, but unassumingly so. Like you looked at him and yeah, you look and he's like, yeah, he's fit. He's, he's strong, but he would throw weight around in the gym that I was just like, bro, do you throw that around? Cause you don't know you're not supposed to like, <laughs> I don't understand how you're doing this. Right. And then we had a guy that was pretty new in the service and he had kind of made his rounds through the shifts and everybody kind of shunned him and was like, yeah, you're not worth it. Like, nah, get out of here. That kind of deal. Right. And it was kind of like, Hey, send him to Tom. Tom will take care of him or like, he'll get out of here. One of the two. Right. Well, when he came over, we sat down in the, in the Lieutenant's office. And the first conversation I had with him was, listen, I know what others are saying about you, but I'll tell you right now, that doesn't mean a damn thing to me. What, what means, what's going to mean something to me is your actions going from here forward. Cause all that is just words. What I want to see is let's go do some work together and I'm going to see where you're mentally ready and willing and able to do this job. And if you're willing and able and you can put in the work, I'm going to feed you as During our conversation, we had a technical glitch in communication. Technology, right? Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Like I said, I can, I can edit it because it's just a silent point. But you were talking about um, his willing to work. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I had the conversation with him, like, listen, it's, it's about actions, right? And it's about what you do from here forward. I don't care what anybody says. What, what, what means something to me is your actions. So with that, with that being the expectation of moving forward, I feel like it kind of took all that pressure off of his shoulder. Like, this dude's going to look at me of, like, what all these people are saying. And I feel like what that set him up for is a way to be successful. It was taking that weight off of his shoulder and opening the door. And I'll tell you right now, when, when, when that was said to him, he did the work. Like there was, there was success. And I'll tell you, he's very, he's still very successful in what he's doing. And that has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with the other people on that crew. It was his willingness to accept that and to move forward with it. Um, it was very difficult to leave that crew. I'll, I'll tell you that that was one of the hardest decisions that I've made in, in the fire, in my fire service career. Um, you know, I told you that, you know, I, I took the position at Cibolo and in doing so, 
I knew that I was going to have to leave him. And that, that was tough because we had been together for a few years and, you know, our families obviously were, were very intertwined and we, you know, we still, I had him over this last summer, but it, it, you just don't see him as much as what you would like to. Right. And, you know, the guys, they'll FaceTime me here and there if they're, cause they kind of got split up after I left. Uh, and every once in a while they'll work a, work a shift together and they'll FaceTime while, you know, while they're together. And I love that. Right. And, and I love that they're still doing the job and they're still, they're still kind of carrying that forward. Uh, and again, that has nothing to do with me. That has everything to do with what they're, what they were willing to allow to occur. And, um, that crew was very special. So moving forward into, into Cibolo now, like that's the intent, like, all right, you were able to do it with a crew. What about a shift? Like that's the challenge, right? So I feel like we're headed down that road. We've kind of laid that foundation. We're spending time to get to know one another. We're breaking down these walls of like, uh, oh, this dude's coming in from the outside. And, you know, obviously there's this outside perspective of like, oh, Tom, right? Right. This dude. And, you know, he's, I've heard it so many times, like he's, he's super aggressive and blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. Okay, cool. But do you understand what the work has gone in to be able to be that way? And you also understand that, yes, I might sound aggressive when I speak, but I'm not because I care so much about everybody. I care and I want to make you the best that you, you will want to be like that. Mm -hmm. That's what I want to do. Right. Um, again, I told you about, you know, I want, I want everybody to experience to whatever capacity or whatever level that they want to the same experience that I've had. Cause I can't tell you, like, I, I I've just been super blessed in my fire service career. I want them to get that in order to do that. It's a lot of time investment and it's a lot of, um, putting others before yourself. So when I hear things about like, oh, like he's aggressive and he's, he's super passionate. Well, yeah, I am, but I'm also doing that so that you can get better and I'm going to remove myself and I'm going to, I'm going to take some of the brunt so that you can succeed too. So it's, it's hard, right? It's a difficult uh, road to walk, but it's also one that's very worth it and it's very rewarding. Um, But that's not why we do it, right? That's not why the people that that are passionate about the job do care about the job and care about others do it they do it so that others can be better than than whoever it is right like my intent is i want my lieutenants and i want everybody on my shift to be better than i am that i want that i don't i don't ever expect or think that i'm the smartest person in the room but i do have some things that i can add and if you're willing to listen i'd love to tell you about it right and that's, I found that, you know, we talked about how it's, it's hard sometimes to figure out what tap to take. And one of the things that I've taken from Kevin Fluger is, you know, when, when people start asking uh, uh, questions or questioning your tactic, like just stop right there and say, Hey, come out here. Let me show you. Right. Come out here and I'll show you. Like we, we, we talked about booster backup at Cibolo at, at and everybody's like, ah, that's silly. Like that's, that's, that's not going to work. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, this stuff really work and it, it's going to work really well for our department because we're, we're running, running three person units. Mm-hmm. So at the time of the, the, the incident, when, when a fire kicks off and your first unit arrives, the best thing that we can do is throw a bunch of manpower at that. And by doing booster backup, I'm front loading that assignment with manpower. 
And if you look at the statistics across the board, we're look we're looking from NFPA 300, 300 uh, gallons or less of water for ninety over ninety percent of the structure fires in the United States of America, right? Our units, we have one that carries five hundred, and then two that carry a thousand gallons. That's the thousand gallon unit at one hundred and sixty gallons a minute. That's six minutes of water, continuous flow, and it's three times the amount of water that over ninety percent of the structure fires go out with, right? So if I just put boots on the ground on the front side of the assignment, and now I've doubled, or at the very least, one and a half times the amount of water on scene, why why is that so silly? So let's go out and let me show you, rather than just sitting here and having an argument about something that maybe I'm not getting across the right way, let's just go out here and I'll show you what it looks like, right? So it man, it, it's always a learning thing, right? It's always going to be a learning thing. You got to learn how to how to deal with uh, different personalities, how to mm-hmm. deal with uh, people's perception of you because mm-hmm. their perception is their reality. It doesn't make it actual reality, but it's their reality and you have to treat them accordingly, right? If they have a perception of you of this dude is just off his rocker and off of his hinges, well, at that point, it's my job to kind of to to quash that and, and and quell and help to alleviate what their perception of me is. And I, I've, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I've not always been great about that because sometimes as a human being, because God's honest truth, I'm, I'm a human being, I'm fallible and I fail at things. I've failed people in the way that I've dealt with them. And, and I hate that. But my intent is to do better going forward. So I'm still trying to figure that out. And it's, it's going to be an ever going ongoing process, right? right. That's, that's being a human though. Exactly. I mean, we're, we're all human. So yeah, no, I totally Weird, right? 100%. I totally yeah, we're not 100%. robots. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I get it. I get it. hundred percent, man. Um, and that's the thing you, especially, especially when you care about this, this, this job, you want everybody to like you, but at some point, whatever you do, there's going to be someone that's either not going to like you for this reason, not going to like you because they heard something, even though it's not true until yep. they actually get to be around you and you're like, Oh, all that stuff they're talking about. I don't, I don't what are they talk? like, you know, that's not how he is, but then there's just some people you, you can't win over. So at yep. the end of the day, you, you just kind of let them go. Like it is what it is. Like, Hey, I'll be cordial when I see you, I'll say, Hey, but that's probably the extent of the conversation. Yep. And the other side of that too, is I don't, I I'm not going to say I, I do. I care, right. As a human being, you care if somebody says, to hell with that guy, right? Like if you, if that word gets back to you, like that somebody is saying that about you, sure it hurts, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What I will say without any shadow of a doubt is whoever that person is, no matter what I do, yes, I want to make that relationship better and I want to mend it in whatever capacity that they'll allow, but I'm not going to lower my standard by any means to make you feel better about yourself. That's not going to happen. It never will. I, I I can't live by that. What I would prefer is that they actually allow me to come in and open up to me so that they can see who who I truly am. Because I'll, I'll be honest, when in first meeting, sometimes I come off, off abrasive. But when you get to know me, you understand that really it's just the passion and the care for people coming out. When you allow me in, what you're going to see is that I want to elevate your standard because sometimes people don't get it that Hey man, maybe your standard isn't set to where it needs to be. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. 
So you've talked about it too, right? The targets on the back, right? Mm -hmm. You're not doing it right if you don't have a target on your back. And some people's targets are very huge. Like, I'm all right with that. I got broad shoulders. I can shoulder that. What I'm not saying is I'm not going to go in it with guns blazing and be like, y'all are all stupid. You don't have a standard. You need to get up to this. No. What I want to do is start at a base level. Let's figure out where you're at. And then let me help you to get there. And again, I don't have everything figured out, but I've got a lot of friends and I've made a lot of contacts that can get us to where we need to go. I've learned from a lot of cool people and I've there's a lot of cool techniques that I can show you if you're willing to just listen and get the ego out of the way and I'll take mine out of the way too. I'm just here to show you something. If you fail, that's fine. But at least we have a starting point where to build from. And I feel like a lot of times that's really what it boils down to. It's people... Sometimes it can be jealousy, right? Sometimes people ego, are, yeah. ego, jealousy. Yep. Yeah. Sometimes people are jealous and and they feel at times, and I'm not saying this about anybody in specifics, but folks can feel that they are uh they feel inferior, they feel like you know more than them, right? That's fine though. Like go learn from those people. Like there's times when I like we went to one bad day with Basil. And I'll tell you right now, you walk into a room with that man, you want to talk about feeling inferior, that dude is something else. When you go to his class and he starts speaking in the way, in the manner that he speaks, it, it fits for me though. Like I love when people speak like that. Mm-hmm. His skill set is, is at a standard that most, it's almost to a point that's unattainable, unattainable for most, right? But in seeing people like that, he's not doing it in a way that like, Oh, you're stupid. Oh, you're, you need to work out more. No, he's like, Hey, this is the standard you need to hit. Now let me show you what I, what I have to learn or what, what, what I can teach you. Right. I think if people would just be open more to that and, and remove the, the softness behind it. Right. Cause sometimes hard things need to be said. Yep. Uh, you know, the, when I was a company officer that there was, there was times that, you know, we would get Delta firemen, right. I I feel like I got a lot of the the problems that like they were, it was like the last stop. It's either you, you come up to this or you get through your, your probie book or you're gone. Right. There's a saying out there. That's like, you can't lead a horse to water or you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. Right. I equate that to training. Right. I can lead somebody to training, but I can't make it train. I, I, I change that up. Right. I, I can lead a horse to water. It doesn't have to drink, but I'll drown that bastard if I have to. Just the same thing as training. I'm going to put you in so many situations that you're going to have no possibility other than you're going to pass this skill because you're going to see it so many times over and over and over. And I'm going to work with you and it's okay if you fail but I'm going to work with you continuously and we're going to do it over and over and over until you can't get it wrong. And if you do get it wrong, you've got it wrong so many times. Now you know how to fix it. Mm-hmm. If you drop a, a cross lay or a speed lay just outside the tray, because you, you fumbled it up, whatever it is, you're going to understand what that looks like. And you're going to understand how to get that mess done so we can get it to the door and get water flowing. But we have to get past that whole deal of the afraid to fail. We have to get past that deal of, oh, I've seen it this one way and that's the only way I'm willing to learn. No, there's a lot of cool ways and there's a lot of cool people and there's a lot of dudes that do this a lot more than we do that we need to learn from. 
-hmm. And then we need to take that and spread that word because if it dies with us, we didn't do our job. No, agreed. Agreed. 100% agreed on that. Yep. And, one, and one last thing I'll add to that is you mentioned, oh, well, we, we discussed um, <clears throat> individuals within the fire service not liking each other for whatever reason the case may be, right? But we like to throw around the word brotherhood, sisterhood. Yeah. That's yeah. that, that, you know, that's, that's uh, your coworker, you know, another firefighter. We're quick to say, fuck you to that firefighter, but we'll also on the flip side, we'll also tell them, Hey, if something goes down, I got you. Like, yep. think about that. You know what I mean? Yep. You have a coworker or a brother or sister firefighter telling you go screw yourself for whatever reason, jealousy, it, the big, it's always ego. Firemen mm. have ego. Like that, it's, that, that's mainly always what it comes down to, ego. But we say we have each other's backs, but then you talk crap about the person. But then on the flip side, if something goes down, this is the person that's going to come to help me out and vice versa. Like if you're saying fuck you to me, but if something goes down and I have to come get you, is that not in the back of my mind? Like, oh, who is it? Oh, this person. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I just want people to just just think about that. Just sit on that for a little bit and think. We say this about each other when, number one, we either don't have all the facts. We're quick to judge because we hear the rumor mill in, in the fire department. Instead of going to that person and asking, hey, did you say this? Or this is what I heard to get a common, to just have a conversation. Nobody wants to have conversations anymore with each other to, to yep. figure out what the issue is. But- these are our so-called brothers, right? That's right. All right. I just wanted to leave that there. That, 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 oh, that, that, so, I, I'm with you. So um other than that, man, um man, it's it's been really, really good conversation today, Tom. I truly, I'm sure I won't be the only one to say that this one, it was a must-needed conversation. Hopefully, the right people can hear it. Yeah. And if not, at least I know you are doing definitely your part in trying to make where you work at better and the fire service as a whole. And it's not just you. You've mentioned a caliber of names of individuals who are trying to just spread the good word. So I just want to say thank you for coming on. I sincerely appreciate it. Uh, brother, I really appreciate you. Um, you know, like I said before, uh, what you're doing and 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 sharing you know, everybody that you've had on this show, like, it's just amazing. I love, so I, I have the ability, I, I sit in car line waiting on my daughter and, and you're there for a while, right? Cause you gotta be there early to get in, in line. Otherwise you're there for forever. Right. 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 I'll sit in the line and I've got the student game podcast or I'm listening to a scrap and stuff like that, man, what you're doing for the fire service and the weekly scrap and, and all these folks that are doing this, it's really made that that circle or that this network of the fire department so much easier to reach out to. Mm -hmm. Like it's crazy. You know, when I started in 05 that I didn't really know anybody other than what was at my department, you know, you go out and, you know, I, I was going to FDIC and all these conferences and stuff, but, and you meet a couple, but it, you know, you had cell phones and you reached out and, but what you guys are doing is, is absolutely amazing because the good word of the fire service is getting out there. And I, I want you to know, from the bottom of my heart, I appreciate it. And, and I, I, I hope that you keep doing it because it's an amazing thing, man. And beyond that, I'm absolutely humbled that you would have me on here. Um, 
you know, I've, like I said before, Caleb, Caleb Smith's the one that says it, but just a nobody from nowhere that just loves the fire service, man. That, that's all it is. And uh, I'm just blessed and lucky that you would have me on. And I, I appreciate it, brother. No, man. Thank you. Thank you. And like I tell everybody else, I'll keep going as long as I can interview people until that day comes where nobody wants to come on and talk. Then that's, that's my that's my cue. But I, I'm enjoying this ride. So thank you very yeah. much, pal. I've got a percentage for you. So you had talked about uh, the guys that say uh, uh, like the FUs or whatever, and then they're supposed to be coming to get you. So uh, 293 Mayday study by Don Abbott published in B. Schefter Ma magazine. So 7%. 13 of those 293 firefighters calling the Mayday became worried when they heard who was coming for them. Think about that. Mm -hmm. 7% out of 293. So that means that you're laying there in the worst situation that you can possibly be in. And you're actually thinking about, oh crap, who's coming to get me? So one thing that I tell the students whenever I, because this is part of the lecture that I give, don't ever be part of that 7% ever. You want to be the remainder of that percentage that when they hear that matey and when they hear who's calling, they're comfortable and it comforts them because that's what we're called to be. We're supposed to be comforting the people, not, not just, not just the citizens, but when it's our emergency, because ain't nobody coming to get us, but us. Like we talk about it when we do this writ training, think about all the other classes that you go to, who is that for? Sure, in some respect, we do it for us so that we get better. But realistically, it's for the citizen. When you train on writ or survival, that's the one thing that we do that we train for ourselves. When you do that, do it with the intent of I'm going to be the comfort for that person in their worst day, right? I would also like to tell you this, that... Uh, um, over the last while, I've been thinking about like, there's a lot of folks, people, and I'm sure you've been caught up in this, right? We, we get into the fire service and we start going to these conferences and we get looped into all these things. And sometimes you, you sacrifice time with your family to do that. Every class that I've done for the last couple of years, I've always posed this to the, the students before we go out and do any hands-on. I ask them to think about their why. Before we go out and do hands-on, think about why. Not just why you got in the fire service, but why did you show up today? Specifically today, why, why are you here? And then I share with them my why. My why is always, I took time from my wife and my daughter, my seven-year-old daughter. I missed her first soccer game. I've missed uh, plenty of days of picking her up from school. And when I go and do these classes, I sit down and talk with her every time that I, before I go, Hey, dad's going to go out and teach firemen how to be a good fireman, right? My why, when I go and teach a class or when I go to a class is I'm taking time from them and I'm going to make it worth it to them that I went. Because at the end of the day, what I want when my daughter is graduated, when I, I hang up my stuff and walk away from the fire station to the firehouse for the last time, all I want my daughter to think is, you know what? Dad did a good thing. Dad made it worth it. You know, and, and I, I challenge folks to think about that and think about the why, because most of the people that are probably listening to your podcast are the ones that are out there going to fire conferences or the ones that are out there teaching others how to do good stuff. 
think about the why when you do it, man. And there's a lot of folks that want to talk about balance when it comes to family versus fire. There ain't no balance, man. Your family always loses when you take away time. So make it worth it when you do it. And, and as far as the balance goes, like I said, there is no balance, but make it worth it when you go and do it, you know, try and take them along when you, when you, when you have that opportunity. Mm -hmm. right. mm -hmm. Anyway, like I said, I appreciate you, Danny, very much a lot, man. Uh, in fact, I, I love you, brother. Like, we had a chance to meet in Tennessee and man, uh, it was a great time. Uh, Absolutely. It, it was for a terrible circumstance. Right. Uh, but again, the why is we made it worth it. We made it worth it to be there. Everybody that was there put in work and made it 100% worth the time that we took away from our families to be there. And it also made it worth uh, Jay and his and his wife, Emma. It made it worth it to them. And we're doing the right thing when we do that to serve another brother. No, I agree. I agree, man. I couldn't say it any better. So I'm I'm, I'm, I'm ended off with a, with a huge thank you for coming on. Thanks, brother. All right, pal. If any of the listeners out there are or know of a great firefighter who embodies the principles of being a great communicator, goal-oriented, hardworking, humble, passionate, and professional, regardless of rank, career, or volunteer, contact me at studentofthegamefirepodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, stay focused, stay committed, and stay safe.